Whether you've just started listening or you've been with us since the beginning, we're so grateful you're here. As you know, before we get into each of our episodes, we spend a few minutes chatting about Jane. Jane is the practice management software that Jordan and I use in our own private practices, and we can't get enough of it. Jane is helpful, intuitive, and beautifully designed, so it's easy to navigate and easy to get started and set up your account. With Jane, I've never had to wait more than 10 minutes to chat with a real human, and most often, it's a shorter wait time than that. Their team is so knowledgeable, friendly, and genuinely helpful. I walk away from my calls or email interactions knowing more about the software and having a better understanding of how I can use it to serve my clients. The Jane team is there to pass on and share their firsthand knowledge of Jane with you and really set you up for success. In my mind, scheduling a new account support call speeds up the learning process of adapting to new software. You get to work one-to-one with a Jane expert to review your account settings and ensure you're taking full advantage of the features suited for your practice. Last week, we talked about some strategies for approaching Jane's support team with good questions and scheduling calls. Here are a few more ways you can think about Jane's support offerings. Jane offers support by phone, email, and chat, and they have their online guide with helpful self-led walkthroughs of Jane. You can check those out at jane.app slash mental health. You can schedule a callback. Remember, if it's easier to schedule a call that fits into your clinical calendar, you can always book ahead of time for a time that works for you. You can book a demo, a new account setup call, or a general support call with Jane's support team. If you don't have time to wait on the phone, you can always request a callback and a Jane support team member will give you a shout as soon as they're able. This is handy if you need to chat through something more immediate but can't wait on the phone. You may be familiar with live chat. A lot of websites have this option. Live okay, skip that. Live chat is a great choice for support if you want a quick answer on something specific or if you generally just like chatting over text rather than calling someone. You can access live chat from Jane's homepage at jane.app or from directly inside your Jane account under the need help button. As you can tell, we really do love Jane and we have both found their support team to be helpful guides as we started in private practice as well as just lovely people. Even recently, both Jordan and I have sent emails to the Jane team and gotten really great, timely responses. I recommend booking a demo. You can find that on jane.app slash mental health. And if you've decided that Jane is for you and you want to sign up, be sure to mention Edge of the Couch in your sign-up notes and the Jane team can add a one-month grace period for you to settle into your account. Let's get started with today's show. Welcome to season four of Edge of the Couch. We are here to create a space to delve into the topics that were either shied away from or dismissed because they were too big, too nuanced, too risky, or too uncomfortable to talk about in school or even supervision. Edge of the Couch is not training or supervision. It is for student therapists, new therapists, and therapists wanting to continue to explore their evolving therapist identities and ways of working. When we are talking about clients, please know we are deeply committed to protecting client confidentiality. We are too passionate therapists and good friends sharing our personal opinions about the therapeutic process. Come join us at the edge of the couch. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Edge of the Couch. I'm Jordan Piquel. And I'm Allison McCleary. And today we have a very interesting episode for you. This is something that has been on our minds since last season's episode about first sessions. This episode will be about second sessions because we yeah. do think that there's something special about second sessions in yeah. the trajectory of the therapeutic relationship and the therapeutic work. Totally. It was not something that either of us was taught or or even acknowledged in our training that the shift from first to second sessions is actually very intentional and specific and deliberate. And neither of us knew what to do in a second session. 
for me as a new therapist, it felt jarring is maybe the right word, but it felt separated. You know, it felt like this is the first session and now this is a whole different way of working. And I remember taking it to to my supervisor, like, okay, I know what to do in first sessions, especially with like the informed consent process. Yeah. And so that took up some of the session. You know, how was your last therapy um, experiences like? What led you here? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And then maybe some initial information gathering. But for the second session, I didn't know where to go. And so I remember bringing it to supervision and my supervisor being like, you just keep going. (laughs) Right. And I think that's how it feels now in doing sessions or second sessions because it's so practiced. Well practiced by Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think about second sessions? I don't know if I ever thought about this it this in depth before prepping for this episode, but I really like the idea of framing the second session as something very like special and important and deliberate. I almost love the idea of like funneling that energy into like shifting out of data collection and out of establishing the relation early relationship bids and things like that into like there's almost a sense of like that first session is kind of an outlier the other sessions don't mm-hmm. look like that we're mm-hmm. not going to be reviewing consent forms again in that same way we're not going I'm not going to be doing data collecting in the same way anymore where it's like I have to get through this list of questions versus like naturally flowing into something so there is something like profound I think in the stepping out of the first session into like the second session I think in the way that I do therapy is much more how most of my sessions look. And this is kind of like, if I'm talking to a client, we'd be like, this, what's happening now is much more like what the rest of our sessions are going to feel like. This is therapy, where a first session isn't quite as therapeutic, I don't think, in in some ways. Yeah. So we should say for practicum students, sometimes you'll have information gathering because of your site will happen over multiple Mm -hmm. sessions. And so what we're talking about is like once the most of the information gathering has collected systematic information gathering is mostly ended this is what happens next yes for me for us i think part of it is like how did the last session go in the end of the first session it's like how did this feel notice how you feel now notice how you feel after this session and then in the second session it's how did the first session feel how did it feel after how has it been in the days following your first session That question I think is so powerful because as we're coming to the close of our first session with a client, they're in it, right? Like they're still in the feelings, they're still in the, but what has happened in those six or seven days or two weeks or whatever the case may be since that first session? Because that's where things can really sink in. That's where clients can really begin to like maybe notice with a bit of curiosity and less so like, oh, I'm just in it right now. So there's something really, I think, beautiful in asking that And still knowing, I think, especially with clients who are early on in the process, that they might not be able to give a lot, I think, in an answer. Like, I think a lot of clients will just be like, it's been fine, it's been good, Mm -hmm. or it's been hard, um, or whatever the case may be. But I I think there's power in asking the question. And you might say, I know that I might say, especially if they give that kind of one word Mm -hmm. answer is like, this is reiterating why the therapeutic relationship is important and we want to make sure we're going in the direction that you want to go. And I really want to hear if there's something that really resonated with you or that didn't sit right. And so these are, it's kind of an opening to the invitation of this is something that I'm going to be asking a lot. It can be uncomfortable. And I I think that we're precedent setting when we're asking those questions. That's those questions. 
Really, in that second session, we are starting to walk the talk mm-hmm. by saying, hey, last time I told you this is how I work, and now we're in the second session. I'm proving to you that it is actually what I'm committed to doing with you. And so I want to know how it felt, even if it didn't feel great. And I want to know what you would like to see be different, if anything, and, and these types of questions. So yeah, you're right. This is where it's like we're proving that we are actually in some way committed to what we said we were committed to. I think there's also some information gathering in their answer Mm. because if they're giving a one word answer, like in the back of my mind, I go, okay, is this person more of like the good client people pleasing? Cause, Mm -hmm. and I can not to judge people for that because yeah, yeah, to pathologize that. Cause I'm like that. Right. Somebody will say, how was this? It's great. Oh, it's great. You know, I'm going to cry at home later. Yeah. Yeah, And so being able to get that information. So there's that. Or someone might say, actually, after the first session, I was really overwhelmed. That's also really good information because then you can say, okay, we need to slow down um, this person. You know, We need to be attending to what's going on in the body um, more closely because I missed that in the first session. I didn't notice that they were outside. And so we can also have a conversation about that. Okay. It was overwhelming. Is there some particular part that was overwhelming? Mm -hmm. How did it feel in your body? How did you know you were overwhelmed? How might I be able to tell that we're getting to that place? Again, empowering them that we can change direction um, when you're noticing you're coming up on that place of overwhelm. I think too about a client for whom naming feeling is hard or accessing feeling is hard. It's happened in, not to stereotype, but it's just been my experience. A lot of my male clients, a lot of my youth clients, right? Where I ask them like, what has it been like? So, you know, what was it like since that last session or how were you feeling? And the answer is kind of just like, well, I don't know, normal. Mm-hmm. And so that can also clue me into, I need to ask the question differently, either makes it more specific or, you know, were you feeling overwhelmed after last session versus like, what were you feeling? It's very open. It might clue me to that, that I need to shift the way I'm asking the question, or it can give me some insight that maybe this client doesn't have a ton of practice accessing their emotional self, or they lack the vocabulary to do that. And so you're right. I think it can give us a lot of info about maybe the types of conversations we're going to have with this client moving forward or how we need to adjust to make it comfortable for them and to get the information that's going to be helpful for us therapeutically moving forward. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So what we're saying is that some of it is it's the checking in, Mm -hmm. the checking in about the relationship and then having conversations about what therapy is. Because that's really what we're doing in the second session is this is what therapy with me is like. This is what it's going to feel like. And often, especially in the beginning of therapeutic relationships, explaining it explicitly. Yeah. I'm going to be asking these questions. You have the right to change direction. Some of our clients have never been to therapy before. And so you, as a new therapist, are pretending to be a more experienced therapist than you are. (laughs) Fake it till you make it sort of thing. And in that, it feels like, oh, I shouldn't explain this to them because they probably know they probably know these things and they think that I know these things. And so (laughs) even if it's somebody who's been through therapy so many times, they haven't been through therapy with you. Exactly right. We are teaching them in the questions that we ask and how we guide the conversation. And this is what therapy is like with me. And so it can be really helpful to name these things, to give clients the roadmap of like, okay, this is what the first session looked like. This is how these future, and then they can guess creating safety in that. And I know what to expect in therapy with Jordan. I know what this session is going to look like. I generally know what future sessions are going to look like. 
yeah, such a huge shift between first and second sessions is the the beginning to really sink into and again walk the talk of mutuality and collaboration by saying to the client, "Hey, last time I had a bit of an agenda because I needed to get through these documents with you and I needed to gather this information, and now actually it is entirely up to you where we go." Mm-hmm. So, what do you want to talk about? And hey, just so you know, that's how most sessions are going to start with me saying, like, what's here with you right now? Where would you like us to go? And I'm going to check in with you and I'm going to allow you to guide. And and if you don't know where to go, we can decide together and figure it out together. But we're kind of handing the ball very much back to the client in a second session to say, hey, we'll talk about or not talk about whatever you want to or do not want to talk about. You really mm-hmm. are the boss mm-hmm. here. Yeah. And if you see the discomfort, it is hard to know. And we're learning what therapy is like. This is for you to be able to bring to therapy what feels resonant for you to really make people comfortable and that they're not the only ones who in the second session don't know where to go. A lot of clients I who have never been to therapy before, or maybe who have and have been with a specific type of therapist, that, well, I don't know, I mean, that's a, another whole conversation, but <laughs> they expect the therapist to guide the, every mm-hmm. conversation. And, th- and they think like, oh, but you're the expert, you know, like my dentist tells me what we're doing. My doctor tells me what we're doing. You're going to tell me what we're doing. And so that psychoeducation piece is huge, at least in the work that you and I do, which is like, I'm never really, unless there's kind of a risk of safety stuff going on, I'm never going to be like, we have to talk about this. You know, mm-hmm. It's like, it's actually entirely up to you um, what we talk about. So there, that's that piece is really big to let people know. It's very hard for new therapists because there's comfort in having that plan. Totally. <laughs> in knowing what questions you're going to ask yes. ahead of time. Yes. And I do think that new therapists think about this is the conversation that we're going to have today. And that's mm-hmm. what we were talking about in the last episode about how therapies improv and how yes, you shouldn't exactly. plan so much. And that's really hard for new. So it's new. It's hard for new clients and it's also hard for new therapists. And how do you sit in the discomfort of like, this is a very big session where you're determining the direction of your therapy. And you're not deciding where it's going. I do ask questions like, you know, where should we begin today? Yeah. I don't kind of like stare at them like, (laughs) you know, know, this is your time. Yeah, you. I support them together with them. Like this is for us to figure out which direction we want to go. I'll give clients some options. Anything in particular you want us to touch on or talk about today? And if they go like, oh, deer in the headlights, I can say, well, you know, from what we talked about last time, like you mentioned that you've got some anxiety going on. You also mentioned this thing with your boss. Do either of those feel like they're a direction you would want to go in today? You're right. Like, I don't think there's ever a time where I'm like, well, we're not speaking until you decide what we're talking about, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. We can together uh, and kind of, okay, yeah, based on what we talked about, where do you want to go? And if neither of those two options, maybe something else that pops up, that's where our job is to facilitate them finding the thing, not just to wait for them to be able to do it. And so it might be you originally came to therapy for wanting to look at your anxiety. Yeah. How was that in the last week? Did you notice your anxiety this week? What did that look like? Or just like you mentioned that you want to talk about your anxiety. Where should we start with that? You know, yeah, there there are lots of different ways of doing it, but it's all open ended. And we've already said to the client, hopefully in the first session, and maybe we've reiterated in the second, that we can change direction on a dime. Mm-hmm. Like we can be so into an anxiety conversation, and all of a sudden you're like, I actually want to talk about my brother. Yeah. Great, let's talk about your brother now. 
we're not committing the session to anxiety just because we've started there. And that's where yeah. that improv piece from last week comes back in. It's like we want to be fluid and we want to follow and we want to follow where the energy seems to go, but we want to ensure that the client is on board with the direction. Be aware of signs that the person's not engaged, yeah. that they find it annoying that you're asking these questions, that it doesn't <laughs> yeah. resonate with all with um, with them at all, or Boring. you can just feel yeah. it. Theoretically, this should be really relevant, but in my gut, this doesn't feel yeah, like the client's not engaged. Going, yeah. yeah, and it doesn't feel like what we should be talking about. And it's really hard to say as a new therapist, but to be like, how's this conversation feeling? Is there something else that we should be talking about instead? Or just how is this conversation feeling? And I can almost nine times out of ten, the person will be like, "Yeah, I don't really want to talk about this," <laughs> you know, because I, you know, I'm able yes. to to read people's body language, mm-hmm. like, or my own gut sense of like, this is not what totally. we want to be talking about, because that has happened in over the course of my career, even now, but Count especially as a new therapist, me. where you're halfway through a conversation or towards the end of the session, and it's clear that. It was a, not a waste, yeah. but it felt like that was not at all where we wanted to go. The client yes. might say, you know, that's not where I wanted to go today, but it was a good conversation. Oh, I hate when you I know, hate that. It's like, oh, oh shoot. And I'll, t- I'll own that. Like, I took us off in a direction. Me too. Me too. I am going to be more aware of that. You know, it felt like that was a good direction. But looking back, it sounds like it wasn't a good fit or that we should have yeah. been having a different conversation. Then reiterating again. Cut me off. Stop me. Yeah. Yes. Please stop, stop me. me if I do that. I'm going to be more aware, but I'm going to empower you. Please let me know. If you are a client, I mean, hopefully all everyone listening has been a client at some point because they're all going to be ther- therapists. But if you're a client, like, please stop your therapist. Mm-hmm. If, this, if the safety is there and the relationship is there, please stop your therapist if they are continuing down a path you don't want to be on. Because I can tell you as the therapist, I would much rather someone cut me off mid-sentence and say, Allison, I don't want to talk about this. I would way rather that than them you know, give me the space and then at the end of the session say, yeah, I really wanted to talk about this thing that happened this week. Mm-hmm. But you were just talking about anxiety the whole time. Like, I would so much rather just, you know, it's not rude in that in that relationship, I don't think. Um there's something up that else that's coming up for me. Mm. Can I share it with you? Absolutely. I'm I'm ready. You're ready. Which is that something that is cool, I think, about the second session versus first is that there can be a bit of a shifting beyond that initial anxiety that clients have when they come. A lot, at least my experience has been a lot of people feel pretty nervous about their first session. They don't know what to expect. They don't know what you're going to be like. They've been carrying this thing they need to go to therapy for for X amount of time. They've maybe had really bad therapy experiences. So that first session is a bit precarious, I think, powerful and important, but that there is that sense of like, I feel really anxious coming here, um, which I always acknowledge with my new clients too. Like a lot of people feel really nervous and anxious. And the second session, I think there still can be nerves, anxiety, but that first initial scary first thing is done for the client. You've already done like the scariest first time. It's true. And so there's something about the second session where I do check in, how are you feeling about being here today? Is the anxiety still here? You know, are you still feeling a bit nervous? And maybe there is a bit, but it's not to the same degree. There's like a settling that happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah. No, I agree. And we can slow down and check in about that and Mm -hmm. acknowledge like, hey, we're building this relationship. And I already feel like I know a little bit more about you. Yeah, I love that. Also, just maybe doing a little bit of a body scan and like, how are you feeling right now? And they might say, I was feeling anxious and now I'm feeling more comfortable. Yeah. 
a lot of my client, my you know first clients, the first meeting with them is there will be quite a bit of tears. Like I have a lot of clients yeah. who cry a lot in the first session. I think it's very common. I think it's people have bottled up a lot mm-hmm. and they haven't talked about that thing, the reason that they're in therapy or they've been managing it on their own for however long. And then they come into the therapy space and there's a, you know, there can be like this, like, oh my God, I've been carrying this. And I always love that. We've talked before. I love when people cry. Mm-hmm. And so there's something about the second session almost where yeah. oftentimes clients are less emotional in the second right. session. Right. Mm-hmm. Because they're like, oh, I already – the floodgates were opened <laughs> and a yes. lot of that stuff came out and now I'm not as you know pent up and it's not all just like stuffed in here. I don't know. Like for me, I remember and that's part of why I'm like, what do I do in the second session is yeah. because in the first session, it was very easy. The person had a lot to say. I had a lot mm-hmm. to say. They mm-hmm. this emotion and the second – session would often feel a bit more awkward or if they didn't cry. Yeah, slower. And I didn't know where to go next. And then also when clients cry, when you're a new therapist, it makes you feel like a good therapist, (laughs) even if they're just a crier. Yeah, yeah. You're like, I did it. I cracked them, you know? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. it really feels like I'm doing it. I'm being a therapist. And in second sessions, when maybe they don't emote in the same way that they did. Yes. I could get in my head about like, oh no, I didn't go to that place. Deep enough. Yes. Yes. There's also something really funny or not funny, haha, but funny, or maybe a bit funny, haha, who knows, but crying takes up time in a session. Mm. When a client is is emoting and we're just sitting there, it's like Mm -hmm. the minutes are ticking by, right? Right. But then when you're in a session and they're not crying, you have have to inevitably maybe work harder because there isn't that same space that's just like, oh, we're just going to sit in this and offer you a Kleenex and you just cry. And that takes us two and a half, three minutes, whatever. We have to be, (laughs) I don't know. There's like, we have to maybe work harder. There's more to do when a client is not emoting in that same way, which is kind of funny. Yeah, I think that imposter syndrome can come up more in the second – for me, would come up more in the second session than the first session. I completely agree with that because the first session has a script in some ways. Mm -hmm. Like we go through the consent form. I have to ask you a bunch of questions. There's, I think, more permission to be like a bit of like a detective in the first session. Like tell me about this. Tell me about this. I need to know about this. But then once you've done that and you get into the second session, that's much more where you are like, oh, shoot, I have no idea what to say to this. (laughs) I don't have a question. Yep. And I think some new therapists will just try to continue the first session. You know, they'll, they'll try to come up with new questions because it's helpful to fill up that space. I think it's confusing to the therapist. It's confusing to the client because it's not the first session anymore. Yes, there might be some questions depending on your site that you need to ask or, you know, your style. But at that, at some point, it's got to shift into more relational work, not just detective over content. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And oh, that shift is really, it's, it's a shift that I think, you know, what I've really witnessed with the students that I work with and new therapists that I work with is that there's almost like a popping in and out of that. I'm a detective and then I'm in process and then I'm a detective and then I'm a process, like kind of depending mm-hmm. on the session. I think it's anxiety provoking, right? To step out of, I'm going to just ask questions and gather yeah. information because mm-hmm. then it's like, wait, what do I do alternatively? Yep. How do I sit in feeling? How do I ask the question that is more about, that is going to like deepen this or, or strengthen the conversation or something that's not just about like the facts? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Teaching this to new therapists is actually really hard because it's almost like 
there is no formula for this, but sometimes you do have to be the detective because there are some details that you need yeah. <laughs> to more understand the what mm-hmm. we're talking about here. Um, and that's always a really interesting dynamic to figure out like when do I need to know the details and when do I not need to know the details? Yeah. And it really is just like a feeling and a learning it and the expertise thing. Yep. That makes me think about new clients whose style is a lot of content. They do tell story and there's lots of detail. Yeah. And and that's where, again, the difficulty comes in. And we have an episode about this, but interrupting, like taking up space and interrupting this person because yep. – second session you're you're establishing precedent and so it there's a little bit more pressure in that sense too of you're a person in the room we're yeah. not just going to talk about uh content that i'm going yes. to go to a process place and so there's a little bit more pressure of course you know as a new therapist you're figuring it out you don't need to put too much pressure on yourself but i do think no. as somebody who is supervising folks or you know on the podcast encouraging you to go out of your comfort zone and take up a little bit more space in the second session especially with folks who will just steamroll you yeah, yes that it can be really important to establish that i'm here too i'm going to be asking how you're feeling in your body yes. um, we're going to a process place and that's what therapy is and so it can be jarring to a client if they are going into storytelling and detail giving for three or four sessions then all of a sudden you're going into process yeah this feels like a tangent rather than like something this is what therapy is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is so hard as a new therapist. So hard. Chatty, chatty clients, I think, yeah. are they are almost, in my opinion, like much more nuanced and complicated to deal with than people who have like severe mental health stuff going on sometimes. Because it just is a, such a different – we're socialized, right, to not be rude and like all of these things around like interrupting is so rude. We teach children not to do it. And and then in the therapist, it's like we're like, you need to interrupt this client. People who are who tell a lot of story though I think is a gift to brand, brand new therapists who are like in their first sessions as a therapist. You just get to listen. Because it's like, yes, I, I to, feel great. Oh, thank God, yeah. You know, they're going to fill up the space. The sessions going quickly. Yeah, exactly. And then and then you get into fourth, fifth sessions. You know, you've seen a couple of clients and now you're like, okay, now I have to interrupt people. And it gets so much harder because the norm is established. And then your supervisor is saying to you, like, you haven't done therapy with this person. Which is listening to, to someone's yes. Yeah, me too. <laughs> listening to someone's story for four hours over the mm-hmm. course of this month is not mm-hmm. therapy. <laughs> yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Often clients ask in their consultation or in their first session, how often should I book with you? Yeah. And while I, w- while I would say to a client, like, it's really up to you, ultimately, uh, there's no formula. I would, uh, I would still suggest once a week for the first four, only because so much happens to our clients in a week or two weeks or three weeks. Mm-hmm. And if you go from the first session to the second session with like three weeks or a month elapsing, it is a bit like harder to, in my opinion, build momentum. Sure. Where I think if you do a session a week for the first four and then reevaluate after that point with the client, I think you've at least done that little bit of momentum building, which is like, this is what therapy looks like with me. This is how it feels. This is how our sessions are going to go. And you've established the, uh, th- that four hours worth of relationship with that person. I think it makes it easier than after that to start spacing. That is brilliant. I don't do that. 
I yeah. say my answer to that is basically like, you know, people come in to the pace that they want. I, in, in order to build the relationship and to go into the direction that you want to go in regularly, I say some people come in once a week. Most people come in every two weeks. Yeah. And then I say once you get into every three weeks, it becomes more of a check-in session. Um, yeah. But I would li- like, I really like that idea of suggesting to clients like once a week for the first four-ish sessions is a great idea for us to build our relationship and to build that momentum. And I think what intimidates me to say that is like money. Totally. Because I've had that before with practitioners where they told me like, you have to come in however often. I'm like, I can't afford that. So I'm just not going to see you at all. Right. And so I guess it would have to be that nuanced conversation of like, this is yep. why. And, you know, obviously financial stuff is important. And if you and can't, so, you can't. And that's yeah. We can still build a very strong yes. relationship. Yes. At least the first two then. Mm-hmm. You can't do the first four. At least the first two with like, you know, seven, eight, nine days elapsing bef- between them or something because that first session is so unique and the second session is so much more what therapy will look like. I think having them close together feels important to me. Yeah. You know, because I've had that experience of a first session and then a second session like a month later. It just feels different. It's not bad. It just feels really different. Like, first of all, I have to like rack my – I have to go back to my notes and be like, what do we talk about? Where when I see a client eight days later, I don't have to do that. I want to like be pushing this ball a little bit and we push it a tiny bit and now we're like stalled, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. For both of us, for the client too. Exactly. Knowing, okay, what do I do again? And it is so much harder to prevent the storytelling if you only see a client once a month. Yeah. Because if you only see a client once a month, they want to catch you up on everything that has happened to them so that you can understand where they're coming from in their in in whatever is here with them. But the last month I moved to Ontario, our dog got sick, we got COVID. Like so much has happened to me. Your dog got um, sick? Yeah. Got remember sick? when remember when well actually it's really funny. The last time we recorded, she had gotten that thing stuck in her throat. <gasps> Yeah, and then it got like her whole throat got inflamed. Oh, it was very dramatic. Babe. So she had a rough, rough week. Oh. But anyway, we're all fine now. But see yeah. how easy yeah. it would be yeah. for if I was going to a therapy session to be like, I don't even know where to start because mm-hmm. so I started my internship. Like so much has happened to me, and that that happens to clients. It's really hard to interrupt someone when they're like, I have five more things to tell you. The storytelling piece is easier to do with clients that I have long established relationships Same. with. Because we have the themes, the core themes. And then it'll be like easily, both of us are able to easily relate it to work that we've already done. Like, yep, here's this thing about about my relationship with men again. We're able to relate it, whether it's something that has shifted or something like a a belief or, or something that happens that's in line with something that's happened before. I'm accepting new clients right now by referral oh, yeah. only. And so I've so had exciting. a few new clients and it's going great. <laughs> if you're a new client listening to this. <laughs> but yeah, I've had a few new clients and it's been going great. I've had a lot of, for me, great fits, feeling really good. And I still am comfortable interrupting people and relating it back to bigger themes. But yeah. I do find that it feels more relationally risky. interrupting people earlier on in the relationship. My long-established therapeutic relationships, I can interrupt people or I can bring people in a certain direction, slow them down, and it feels they're going to come with me. While with a new client, I could totally turn them off. I think that's exactly what the situation is because when you have an established rapport, it's easier, I think, to say, hey, what are we talking about here? Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, we've been here before or wow, we've 
really been in this stuck in the story and I don't really know what it, it relates to and I can trust that my relationship with that person can handle it. And that's where I think, again, having those four sessions close-ish together helps me know that we probably have at least the rapport necessary to begin to challenge in tiny ways. But again, it's like if I've only seen someone once a month for four months, I don't know if I feel as safe in the rapport sometimes, I would say don't. depending on the client. Yeah. That's what's interesting about doing this podcast is I think that there are there are not to oversimplify it, but there are two groups of new <laughs> therapists. I would say some of sure. some of whom love to interrupt and ask questions yeah. and take and they're good at it and take the space and it feels comfortable for them and maybe too comfortable, right? Where it's like you need to learn to sit back and I mean yeah. I think both mm. I think all new therapists want to have a script. There's something about. Um, some new therapists who think that's what therapy is. I'm going to facilitate and I'm yeah. going to interrupt. I'm going to challenge and it feels fine. And I'm going to yeah. push myself to do that because that's what therapy is. And then I right. think there's this other group where it's like, you need to take up space. <laughs> like, yeah. You need to say something other than what you've already come up with in your <laughs> script. Yeah. You need um, to like react and organically to what's coming here. As new therapists, it can come up bluntly. Um, for either group, mm-hmm. we're not necessarily like, what are we talking about? <laughs> right, which is the question that I ask clients. And when I, but because I, people when, that when you I know. have the rapport yeah. with them, exactly, mm-hmm. right? When I have the rapport and I have the years of a relationship, Literally. I can say, hey, Jordan, pretending you're my client, what are we, I'm not really sure what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what's, what's the point here, right, mm-hmm. is kind of the question. And sometimes clients are just, some clients are beautiful storytellers. It's almost like they're just like gifted. And then other clients are horrible storytellers. Mm-hmm. What is happening? Who did yeah. what and when? And you know, mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, it's interesting. I know that we have an episode about this, about taking up space, but let's say it's a second session. How are you taking up space in the second session? Well, I think I'm a big believer in taking up space in nonverbal ways if necessary. So mm-hmm. like you, if you've ever sat in a classroom with me and listened to a lecture, you're going to know um, I have really obnoxious listening noises. Yeah. Uh, some, something <laughs> that my whole cohort, uh, mm, you know, and I like, I'm a big nodder. So yeah, me too. if I'm listening to lecture me. I'm literally just nonstop nodding. I think that is a way is like reacting really naturally, but allowing myself to have reactions to the story that they're telling. I think another one that I've talked before about is just like, ouch, right? When they say something that I think would hurt their fe- would have hurt mm-hmm. their feelings mm-hmm. to my heart, like, oh, what? You know, sad, right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. um, that there are ways that you can take up space that are less like interrupty. And that I think I would do more of in a second session. Like I probably am not going to interrupt a client in a second session in a very pointed way. Um, and if I do, I'm going to say, this is the reason why I stopped you there. Mm-hmm. Um I just, that thing was so juicy. I hear you talking about that other thing and I would really like to circle back, but can I just ask one quick question about this thing so that I can understand better? Um, Again, when I have clients that I've worked with for a lot longer, I don't necessarily feel like I have to give a ton of context in that same way. I do still apologize for interrupting, but they get, they know why I'm doing something. Mm -hmm. With a new client, I'm going to do a lot of like caveating for everything that I do so that they understand the why. Yeah. What about you? What do you do for second session interrupting? interrupting well or like um i mean it's very similar to how i work 
again, like what we were saying before, that it's creating norms. And I think that Mm -hmm. it's very similar to how I how I interrupt people in other ways. In one way that I take up space, of course, is the little preamble that we talked the check in that we talked about the beginning, if they're getting what I see is overwhelmed, you know, outside of the window of tolerance, I'm going to say, how are you feeling in your body right now, even if Mm -hmm. it is cutting them off? Yeah. I'll say like, how are you feeling in your body right now? Because I have a sense that we need to slow down or that we need to ground, come back into the room, change direction. And so that's one way. I might do the same thing of like, ouch. And if I was in that position, I would feel this way, mm-hmm. especially if they're not tapping into that emotion. So that's something that yeah. I do in other sessions, but I'll I'll do it in second sessions too, right? Of like, you're telling me this story again content and then I go to process or feeling, which is like, if I'm in that position, if I experience that, I would feel really angry. Yeah. I wonder if there's any anger here too. Such a great tool. It can feel really interrupty for Mm -hmm. a new therapist. That's what's interesting about having had the experiences that we've had is that it feels so much less risky to take up space and interrupt people. It doesn't feel terrifying. (laughs) At all. In fact, I feel very confident in being able to do it in a way that is relational. That it's, it's, I want to know you. I am relating to you. I care about you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Not, I'm I'm trying to be a therapist. Right. And I think because I, because I trust myself to ask at the end of a session about, I mean, often I'll ask, I know I interrupted you a little bit today. Mm -hmm. How was that? Yeah. If it's going to cause a miniature rupture, which I'm going to assume that like most clients, if we're, interrupting in a second session in a really delicate way like we're talking about with caveats and really purposeful questioning, most clients are going to be okay with it. Mm -hmm. Even if it's like a little bit annoying and a little bit knocks them off their train of thought, they're generally going to understand why. And then there are going to be some clients who are going to say like, I really didn't like that. And because, but I'm going to get that data because I'm going to ask for it specifically. Yeah. Then you can learn which clients for whom an interruption is a very big deal mm-hmm. and it ne- you need to be very purposeful in it and you need to have a, a way to communicate that to each other. And the f- clients for whom they're going to say, oh, thank God you stopped me because <laughs> I would have just kept going, mm-hmm. right? Some clients say that. Talking about interrupting in a second session makes me think about what about the clients who give very little in a second session? Right. That's, I, that's really also, hard. It's really hard. Yeah. One word answers. That is like palm sweating. Like, ah, I don't know what to say. Oh my God. Like deer in the headlights. Honestly, I remember like my mind going blank about like, right. uh, you say something and then just throwing out a, a question. Tell me more about what your dad's like. What? Yeah. That yeah. came out of nowhere. Right. What is that related to? And so I think in the past, when I was there, I would just go back into information gathering mode, which is. Makes sense. It's like an, almost an instinct. Yes. Yeah, so whenever new therapists get anxious, they go into asking questions. Yeah. But now I'm comfortable with silence. Me too. I'm going to go into the body. How's it feeling? Because if they're feeling anxious or overwhelmed, then there's things that we can do about that. And then psychoeducation about what therapy is. It really depends on. I'm curious about what kind of short word answers Mm -hmm. are we talking about? Is it because they're overwhelmed? Is it because they don't know what therapy is? Is it because this is their way of communicating? Because for some people it is. I think about my partner when he was in therapy that I imagine that that's the type of client that he was, right? Of just like (laughs) give an answer and then that's it. And okay, what else? Yeah. So how do you work with those folks? And 
this sounds so vague, but it's uh, to me, it's also just relationship building. And maybe you ask questions, but if it's from a deeply curious place rather than like mm-hmm. I'm throwing out a random question. Yeah. If I go internally, what do I actually want to know about this person? And how can I get curious about the way that they answer, mm-hmm. right? Like I think that then we, that's where we shift into process. Like when I get an I don't know from clients – which you get a lot from youth clients, some youth clients, like, how is that? I don't know. And then I go into like, oh, how is that to not know? Mm. Versus like follow-up question, follow-up question, follow-up question. Mm-hmm. And like, what is it like to be asked questions and to feel on totally. the spot to give answers? Exactly. And are you a person who regularly talks about your feelings or is that new for you, mm-hmm. right? That we can shift away from the content, which is how are you feeling when that happened, which is a great yeah. question to ask mm-hmm. and more into like, what's going on right now for you? So I do yeah. think that, yeah, in a second session, to, to put a bow on a lot of what we've just said, which is like genuine curiosity goes yeah. so far. When we're anxious, oftentimes we lose the genuine curiosity yes. and we kind of panic, right? Mm-hmm. But if we can reconnect with like, if I was just getting to know this person, yes, what would I want to know about them? Mm-hmm. And what would I need to know in order to feel close to them and connected to them when we can shift into that? And the second session is so that because mm-hmm. you've kind of got all these like boxes checked of like basic info, but now you want to know more. Yeah. You want to know it in a way that is more like layered and nuanced and you can see all of the little idiosyncrasies of this person. You want to, you're aiming to know that and that's just so fun. I really love what you just said about getting to know them in the process of, okay, they don't know. They're giving one word answers mm-hmm. um, and really knowing what that is about for them. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, what's that like? Um, and sometimes I'll give people examples if it's clear that they don't know what I'm talking about. They'll be like, can yeah. you say more? And then I'll say, <laughs> you know, is it that you're not used to maybe talking about your emotions yeah. or that in your family, it wasn't something that you talked about? Is it that it's hard to access right now? Um, so that your mind that, is blank when you yeah, get asked it, a question like you know, that. Is it yeah. that th- therapy is weird? And I might say that therapy is weird. Mm-hmm. And it can it takes us some time to, to learn how to talk about ourselves. And when totally. you do that, you get to a place of you're both saying that the, what an interesting place we find ourselves in. And yeah. for me to know you like I, I just find that if you were go to, to go to that place, you know that person a lot more in them more nuanced way. Like what's going and, on for you inside right now? And you are handed an opportunity to connect with them that is different than the way you were trying initially. Yes. Right. This is why it's so great when a, in a second session, if you can if a client is giving short answers or I don't know and you get curious about that, then you discover how to show up and be present with this client that is more effective for them, right? Some clients need a multiple choice question. Some mm-hmm. clients need 35 seconds of silence to get their answer. That's true. Some clients need um, follow-up questions. They need invitation to, to dig deeper. And so when you can get that information from a client, you are gonna your sessions with them are going to be so much easier. And then you can have a client who gives very little answer and still know that you're doing good work with them because you're giving them what they're asking for. Yeah. Because you've asked them what they need from you. Mm-hmm. 
Brilliant. I love it. I, I love where we've landed here, which is about genuine yeah. curiosity, which means that you have to be grounded enough. And mm-hmm. there's that improv piece. And to be out of your head, be out of that place of trying to be a good therapist and thinking about what that looks like. And instead, I'm a person with genuine curiosity relating to this other whole person with their own ways of being. To me, that brings the second session is about bringing humanity back into uh, the I love process. that. I love that. This, this is a thing. Powerful. The second session is quite powerful. Yeah, it is. It and is. every session maybe is. But there's something very specific about shifting out of first into second. I hope that for those listening, that, that the second session becomes more exciting for you. It becomes more yeah. of an invitation and opportunity Purposeful. versus yeah. the anxiety that I felt when I was a new therapist in my second sessions. And then this episode has given you not a script, but has given you, has reframed what a second session is so that you can orient to it differently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as always, we want to know what you think. Maybe you've done a thousand second sessions and you've got something you want to share with us. Maybe you're about to start practicum. And so you're about to do a thousand second sessions. Right. Maybe you hate second sessions. We want to know everything. So please, as always, you can send us an email at connect at edgeofthecouch.com. You can DM us. We want to know what you think. Yes. I'm just thinking of all of you who are starting your practicum, those of you who are yeah. studying for your qualifying exams, those of you mm-hmm. who are starting school. Our love goes out to you. We're, we're here for you through your process. Reach out. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Hey, Edge of the Couch listeners. This is Katie from Jane. Thanks for letting me join you for another episode. If you're new to Jane, no worries. Jane is an all-in-one practice management software designed to be helpful to you no matter how or where you practice. Now, you might be wondering what that looks like in a software. Well, with Jane, it looks like online booking that makes it easy for your clients to book a session with you, administrative scheduling that's intuitive and beautifully designed, and charting that's quick and simple. Our features are designed with you, our mental health community, in mind so you can spend less time doing admin work and more time focusing on what matters, your clients. This is your invitation to come see Jane for yourself. You can book a demo with a member of our support team at jane.app forward slash mental health. If you're ready to get started, just mention Edge of the Couch during sign up, and we'll set you up with a one month grace period. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at connect at edgeofthecouch.com to tell us what you think, ask a question, or let us know what type of episode you'd love to hear. You can even send us a voice note for us to play in a future episode. You can support us by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts, sharing the show with a friend, or supporting us on Patreon. Join us next time at The Edge of the Couch. Edge of the Couch.